Welcome to Humanly Possible, a vlog and podcast series focused on the game-changing potential of creating human-centric workplaces. On this episode, we're joined by Stefan Vincent, a thought leader in the employee experience space and a leader at LifeGuides, a well-being and employee assistance solution for conscious leaders and organizations. On the brink of transformation around well-being at work, Stefan and I explore a holistic well-being approach that is farther reaching than traditional and limiting physical health well-being programs. We discuss the additional elements of the whole human experience, including physical, mental, and emotional health. We spend time on the impact of well-being in the midst of COVID and an emerging workforce that craves the integration of purpose, beliefs, social responsibility, and spirituality into the workplace experience. All right. Hi, Stefan. Welcome to Humanly Possible. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Angela, for having me on your show. Yeah, thank you for joining. And uh, can you maybe just give the listeners a little bit of background on, on Stefan as a human and, and I guess as a, as a professional? As a human, sure. Uh, as you can tell, my accent is not native from the U.S., um, originally from France. Um, I moved quite a bit before actually landing here in May to Arizona, uh, moving from Indiana after spending 16 years in, Arizona, in Indiana. So enjoying the, the weather and the winter here in Arizona, much warmer than in the Midwest for sure. I know that you, know, you can probably relate to that now in Chicago, right? I'm very jealous, yes. <laughs> And um, on the professional level, I wear multiple hats. Um, I work currently for a wonderful company called LifeGuides, where I'm part of the leadership team and I oversee our engagement marketing, client success, our guide community. And we really partner with organizations to help their employees navigate through their life challenges by providing emotional well-being supports um, through their households, whether it's the, the employee and their uh, family members as well. And I'm also passionate about everything that relates to culture and employee experience. I've been running for quite a few, a few years now a podcast on the employee experience, the EX podcast, and a series of events where you spoke at when you were back in Seattle called the EX Summit. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, it sounds like those two uh, worlds are just very purpose-driven around the employee experience. And so uh, really what I wanted to talk to you about today, since you are working with this, I'll call it an employee assistance program, but it's really a holistic well-being program. I right. wanted to talk a little bit about that and how that world has evolved and changed um, over the last few years, but also through COVID. I think it's a very re relevant topic right now. Um, but before I jump to that question, what does a human-centric workplace look like for you? Can you describe it to us from your, from your vantage point? I would say, first of all, it's really to put the people at the heart of the business strategy, right? And as a leader, you've got to ask yourself is, how can my people contribute to the best of their abilities to the overall success of the company and you know, serving our customers and different stakeholders, whether it's different vendors or 
the local community, the environments, and so forth. So that's really asking that critical question is how can my people contribute to their best of their abilities to the success of the company? I think the second question is related to that, it is how can I create the space where they can bring their best? Now, we're probably going to get into this into, uh, in, in a few minutes, but especially right now, you know, working with, you know, because of COVID, people have shifted from working in the office to working remotely, and the personal life and the professional life are fully integrated and fully blended. So again, going back to that question is how can I create a space where my people can bring their best? And I would say the, first, the, uh, the third element is just talking to people. If you just can't talk to your people to really understand what motivates them, what their needs are, what their aspirations are, uh, if you can't do that, then you're just going to put together a sort of framework or culture or core values that just resonate with you personally, but not necessarily with your people. So by talking to people, you can really understand again all their inspirations, motivations, needs, and then, you know, I mean, you're very well versed on this as well. Then you can create the framework for the employee journey and then tran trans uh, translating into the employee experience. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's really important to, I mean, what I heard you say is really considering the whole human, right? Not just the, the work human, the person who comes in and, right. uh, you know, clocks in and clocks out. And there seems to be a, a, a shift happening around the area of um, like work-life balance or work-life life integration too. How do you see that kind of evolving and changing or has it changed over the last few years? For at least for the conscious leaders and the conscious companies, you know, it's something that has been going on for quite a few years, really again, that people-centric approach to workspace and you know, work, workplace, but you know, COVID has been the accelerator. Many companies before never thought it was possible uh, to have their people work remotely without someone being on their back, making sure that actually they arrive on time, they left on time, they were doing their work, you no know, spending too much time being distracted by other things. Mm. So it was just the accelerator of that trend that had been going on for some time with the realization that it was possible for the companies that were the most reluctant of trying to experiment it. Now with COVID, they didn't have the choice. They just, have, just had to move remote. Uh, and then now they're realizing that actually their people are probably, I mean, from what I've heard when I've been talking to leaders, they're seeing the people more engaged, more productive, um, even though it has already uh, also its challenges, right? Uh, but at least from a business impact, I think that for the organizations have been have, that have been able to migrate positively and quickly to COVID, they've seen very productive and positive results. Yeah, and and, and it's here to stay. It's here to stay. That's the thing too. It's not because of COVID. We're going after COVID. We're going to go back to what it was before. I think we'll see more and more of a hybrid approach where more flexibility, whether you know, people may decide to spend a few days at home, a few days in the office. So we'll see more and more of hybrid workplaces in the next few years. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's a good segue into the question around well-being, right? Because now you kind of have this hybrid merge of the worlds <laughs> when before it was very clear uh, work and home. And I feel like organizations oftentimes would use that as potentially a delineation point, right? Don't bring your home stuff to work. Don't bring your work stuff home. But now we're we're living and working in both spaces. So what is, from your perspective, because I know you're at the cutting edge of a lot of this work, what is the new or um, emerging definition of well-being? And when, when, a, when an employer is thinking about a well-being program, what does that have to encompass? Yeah, um, so I'll go probably back on what it was before. And, you know, well-being was mostly associated with wellness and specifically physical wellness. And it was mostly driven by trying to reduce the insurance premium and maybe the insurance claims. So you had all those wellness programs where you had to do, let's say, 10,000 steps a day over a period of time, and then you would have a discount on your insurance premium as an employee and then as an employer as well. It was very driven around cost reduction more than anything else. Mm. Now we're seeing more and more of a true holistic approach. And when you think of well-being, it's you know, the emotional well-being, it's the physical well-being, it is the spiritual well-being, it's the financial well-being. So if you break down all those different elements, so the physical well-being is how can we create a space where not only our employees feel safe from, uh, you know, safe from the environment not being injured, uh, especially if they work in a warehouse or in the production floor, things like that, it's also about how can we design the space so that people can move around easily. And when I say moving around, it's not just from going to one meeting room to the other meeting room. It's really where they have the ability to physically exercise, right? Yeah. In a very you know, normal way, it doesn't have to run, but it, it means just to be able to, you know, have to go on a walk with the body for five or ten minutes between meetings so that you don't actually have to you have a nice transition from one meeting to another or from a meeting to going back to your desk to work on individual tasks so that's all the physical well-being in addition to maybe like a gym or a fitness center or things of that nature now on the on the emotional side it is again we're talking about the blending of the personal and professional life. So it's how can we make sure that we support our people around their well-being? Because whatever happens at, um, at uh, home impacts mm -hmm. what happens at work and vice versa, right? And when actually you work in the office and you go back home, you have whatever your commute is, it's a way to leave what was in the office and then get ready mentally to you know go back to your spouse and to your kids at home when you work from home the only separation you have is probably just a door of your office or your bedroom and then you just suddenly don't even have a transition time just to prepare yourself from transitioning from work to to, to life and we all know that especially you know with covid many of us had to work from home managing online schooling for our kids as well um, plus you know, everything else so how can leaders support the emotional well-being of their people and allow them to have just be able to raise their hands hey mm -hmm. i'm struggling right now uh, i just need support 
no, you are my boss, can you help me through that? Can you give me a bit more flexibility? Can we revise maybe some of the deadlines I have? Or can you direct me to you know, whomever I should talk to, right? Whether it's HR, it's a different vendor like LifeGuides or somebody else. Um, on the spiritual level, it's more about, uh, it somehow relates to diversity and inclusion as well. To, it's to understand that you know, people have different religious beliefs, for instance, or different, um, different ways to be spiritual. And how can you be able to accommodate, accommodate those needs? And you know, sometimes as people just have different religions, they have different religious holidays. So why should you have to stick with Christianity mm. or Christian holidays when you wouldn't have to um, you know, accommodate like Muslim holidays or Jewish holidays and things of that nature. So it's not so much about having a, you know, a place of prayer or worship inside your organization, but it's also how can you accommodate your entire holiday calendar around other religious holidays. And then the last element is the financial mm. well-being. Uh, and that's, you know, obviously, you know, people getting paid for their work hopefully, whether it's a fair compensation or not, it's always for debate. But it's really to be able to set um, the foundation for the, your employees to be well taken care of on the financial level so that they don't have to worry about their finances and then can, they can really be focused on the work itself. Yeah, that's a really holistic, it, it's very much more holistic than I think what a lot of us are used to hearing, right? Which is to your point, the, well, the wellness program, which is just focused on like health metrics or biometrics or yes. the, uh, you know, the collective walking program that you mentioned, you know, this is, this is hitting on things that I don't, I don't know if a lot of leaders necessarily have the, um, I guess the tools or the, or the radar or the discretion to be able to, um, you know, be able to make some decisions around. So how have you, I guess, what are some things that you have seen um, help leaders equip them to be able to react or proactively act on wellness in the workplace? And then, you know, just because tying this to business, right, is really important. I heard some hints of your conversation. You talked about productivity, you talked about performance, you talked about, you know, there's just, there's some burnout aspects in there that are really detrimental to a, a resource or, or the workforce. Um, what are some tools that, that leaders can use to keep a good gauge on this and make sure that they're addressing and zooming in on the right areas of wellness when they need to? Yeah, I would say, first of all, I really believe that any benefits that you provide somehow has to be tied to, you know, business performance and individual performance. Otherwise, there's no point of spending extra money for something that you can't really measure. But at the same time, it's not always to measure the actual impact on whatever program you're running. But you really, so the, the, I think the starting point is really to, to see, okay, what are my business objectives? How can I make an impact on like increasing you know, business performance by, in, by in implementing different wellness or well-being initiatives. So that, that's, I think, where to start here. There are many, many tools, many different vendors that provide more of a holistic approach. So it's identifying what is the best for your business and what is the best for your people. And it goes back to talking to your people, 
really understand what they need so that you can cater their benefit programs based on their needs and you as a leader are one you can afford financially and what makes sense to you as well personally. Um, and I think that more and more conscious leaders really are adopting this, um, this attitude and this, uh, this mindset uh, right now. Um, so going back to your question about you know, what, 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 can they, what can they do, it's, you know, when, when you look at the core values that you have, what really is, is meaningful to you as the leader and as the people and for the people. Um, and it just what makes sense for, for the people in terms of you know, progress. If, if you are in, a, um, in an industry where, let's say you take, you take um, you know, healthcare or hospital groups, mm -hmm. right? So health is very important. Right, so how can you make sure that the health of your people is well taken care of, probably even beyond just regular health insurance or health coverage for any other industry because they're in the front line and dealing with you know, people with different diseases and especially right now with COVID. And also had a huge emotional impact, right? Because they're putting their lives at risk as employees to help you know, the patients. So you have to understand what are the standards of the industry, but what are the requirements and the, you know, the challenges on the industry itself. So you can sort of cater what type of well-being programs that might be both beneficial for you and people. I see. So yeah, so it's kind of magnifying based on the industry, based on your core values, right? What are the, what are the things that we need to be taking um, in, into consideration for the workforce. But then to your point, it's about auditing the workforce to say what's important to you. I know there's a lot of programs that you can kind of just get out of the box or you know, you read a great article about a particular program or action and it's really easy to say, yeah, yeah, we should, we should do that. That sounds cool, yeah. <laughs> that sounds competitive. Uh, so there is a really, uh, valuable listening aspect to this and making sure that you are focused on the right things. Yeah, and it's, it's not easy, but it's trying to get away from the transactional aspect of benefits to a more holistic approach. Of, it's not so much about the cost and just providing something for the sake of providing something. It is what is really going to make the most impact or the biggest impact on my people and by extension my business. Absolutely. Uh, so I wanted to kind of um, zoom in a little bit on this, um, this topic of burnout. And I guess this is probably more so on the emotional side. Mm -hmm. But what I've, what I've um, discovered is burnout actually spans a lot of the, the dimensions you mentioned, financial, emotional, men, you know, mental health, uh, even uh, spiritual, a little bit. And so uh, what are, what does, what does burnout mean? <laughs> I guess let's start there. And then what are the impacts to business? Yeah. So burnout can have a different, you know, different meaning for different people. For me personally, I think that it's, so you can see some elements or some, um, some indications of people you know, being burned out when, uh, they're overly stressed. They, make mistakes in, in their jobs, right? They don't pay as much attention or because they're trying to rush because they're trying to, to meet deadlines. Uh, it is maybe they are um, you know, physically present, but mentally absent. They're not really there 
completely, they're not fully engaged. Uh, maybe it is that they're actually spending um, a bit more time on sick days versus you know, what they would typically do. Mm-hmm. Or they can be angry at work. They can be angry at other coworkers. They could be angry at their managers. We just have a more of a negative attitude versus what the typical attitude is. So those are some symptoms of the burnout, I would say. Okay. And... Uh, it, and, and it sounds like, you know, there's, there's like a, there's a qualitative piece and a quantitative piece to this number of days off. You know, there are things that you can kind of track to see uh, if, if burnout, at least to ask the question, right, as a leader to, to listen and ask the question, you know, hey, you've been taking a lot of days off. Is there something I can help with? Um, you know, how else can we accommodate whatever's going, whatever is going on? And there's qualitative indicators, like, like you mentioned, irritability, um, you know, not being able to, you know, function at the, the productivity level that they usually do. And so how, um, kind of getting to the employee aspect of this, mm-hmm. how can employees, you know, the, the employer has a huge role in preventing burnout, but how can employees prevent burnout or, um, set themselves up to to not reach that point um, in the workplace. Like as a, as a leader, as an employer, you have to create a safe space where again it's okay for people to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm I'm just overwhelmed right now. I need a break. Can I take an hour, a couple of hours, just to go out and refresh my my mind? Or you know, I just need to take a break for like a day or a couple of days." So I really have that safe space where you can have candid conversations between an employee and the supervisor or the manager and just say, I'm, you know, I just, we just need to revise a little bit my workload or my deadlines because I know that I'm struggling right now. So just have that very safe space. Uh, there are ways that you can measure, you know, like on even on a weekly basis, you can just do pulse surveys. And so, you know, from week to, to week, you can actually see not only your team at the team at the team level, but at the company level, how people are feeling from week to week. And then over time, you can look at the data and you can really see some of the markers or indicators that may trigger a higher burnout rate versus a lower one. So talk to your people, have a create a create a safe place to have conversations, do the pulse surveys, whatever cadence you want to do. And something that I do, even myself personally, it's every day. Uh, at the very beginning of the day, right now I slack my team because we're all remote. And the very first question I ask them is, how are you feeling today? I don't even get to asking them a question, say, oh, where are we on this project before they answer the question? And the reason why I I said, uh, I ask, how are you feeling today? Not just how are you doing today? Because usually when you say, how are you doing today? People would say, just okay, well, how are you doing, yeah. right? But how are you feeling today? It mm. brings a more personal response if you know the recipient wants to be you know, more personal into the, into the answer. But at least you create, again, that safe space where people can really share what they're going through, right? And by doing this at the beginning of the day, at least you start on a positive note and you, if your people are struggling, you can at least spend a few minutes trying to create a, a way for them to feel better for the rest of the day mm. right um, so that's personally what i what i try to do um, in addition to you know, again create create the safe space and the, the surveys 
Yeah, and to your point, the two kind of go hand in hand. You you can't ask how you're feeling, but create a unsafe space because then you're not going to get vulnerable answers, right? Exactly. You're gonna exactly. experience that, yeah, I'm okay, or I'm doing okay. Um, it, it's once you create that safe space as a leader that you open the door for conversations like, you know, I, I'm struggling, or, you know, there's something going on at home, or, you know, I'm, I'm energized even. Even those positive emotions sometimes don't even come out when you don't create that safe space. If you have the safe space and you know, just to be able to say, to be just candid and honest, it is today I'm struggling. And I think there's been a, there's been a realization that it's okay now to say, I'm struggling. It's no longer a sign of weakness. In the past it was, right? And, but it, now it's just say, it's okay. Even as, as a leader, it's okay to screw up. It's okay to be vulnerable. And as a result, it's okay for the employees to be able to express those same feelings. Yeah, and that gets into psychological safety, right? Which is, mm -hmm. uh, I, I did another episode on, on psychological safety and it really is a skill set and a muscle for leaders to, to build the skill around creating psychological safety. So yes. what are some things that you feel like leaders can do more of I know we talked about some of the programmatic pieces, but what are some things that your average leader listening can do to create that safe space and thus help the well-being of their team? Well, a couple of things. I do believe that the pulse surveys really help, depending on which questions you ask, right? If you actually do have questions centered around well-being, emotional, physical, and so forth, you open the conversation for that. In, if you do act on the feedback that is provided. So the actions are a true indicator of whether or not you do care about how the people feel. You can ask them, but if you don't act on, on them or if the, your behavior doesn't actually follow the intent of asking how people feel, then you send the wrong message. So that's, it's very, very, very important. Uh, for sure. And just to be able to, as a leader, just to be able to show vulnerability, right? You know, I, I've heard of few, a few companies that have uh, on Fridays, it's, you know, the, um, like I, I messed up Friday or, you know, using the F word, I F up Friday, yeah. right? So where team, teams get together and they share what they did wrong this week, what they learned from it and how they can make it better for the following week. Mm. Right. Or it's even the, you know, the leaders to say, you know, I've been struggling you know, over the past few weeks because of this. You know, my mom was sick. You know, she's been dealing with this and this and this. I know that it's had, you know, it has had an impact on me being with you and being able to be fully supportive of you in running the business. I realize that. I just want to you know, share that with you so that you know that it's okay to have all those stressors and distractions you know in your life knowing that if you wear those and you have support around those you can still be at home uh, at work and be able to work but as a leader i want to be able to provide the support to you so that you can deal with those difficult situations while uh, you show up at work and what do you think the 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 role of the leader is around role modeling well like wellness behaviors what what do leaders what is their role in that 
process? It's critical. It's critical. Um, you know, even at Lavagate early on, we, we created our culture deck, right? So we define our core values, but we, we put together very specific behaviors to, to do and not to do because you can have all those great values, you can have all those great expectations, but if you actually don't behave the proper way, your employees are just going to see how you behave positively or negatively, and they're going to follow. And not just for you as a leader, but every, every, all the other leaders in your organization, they have to walk the talk. And that's, yeah. so behaviors are very, very, very critical in um, creating that sense of, again, safe safety psychological psychological safety in the workplace that sense of belonging of engagement it's all related now if we talk about dei for instance it is okay so you can have oh yeah we want to have a more diverse workforce but if your acts or your actions don't support what you're saying then what kind of message are you sending exactly and if we learned anything this year about leadership we learned <laughs> that role modeling and matching your actions and your intentions Clearly. are really crucial uh and it's when you talk about effective leadership there is very very crucial because nobody wants to follow someone who doesn't you know there's some cognitive dissonance there right when you hear a leader talking about something uh maybe it's wellness or health or mental health and then on the other side of this, they reprimand somebody for, yes. uh, you know, taking a day off for mental health, right? Yes. So those two things need to match up uh, and people will follow those types of behaviors. So I, I always say this, but leaders have this additional layer of scrutiny and that's how it should be because they get to pay the big, big bucks and they have teams and it's important that um, everyone understands that that is a responsibility. If that's part of your cultural fabric, that also needs to be a part of the um, behaviors of leaders as well. Right, and just the ability as well to, first of all, to know that you're not perfect, you're going to make some mistakes and be able to receive the feedback from your teams as well. It's not criticism, it's just observations, it's facts, and you be able to pivot and change and adapt as needed. Yeah, that's a great point, being able to say, you know, I, I am self-aware that the way I showed up just now or then or whenever was not in line with, with the ideal scenario, right? Or the, the aspiration that we're all working towards. That's a great point because yeah, every leader can't be perfect and that's a vulnerability. Um, but when it comes to wellness, I do think that self-awareness self of the leader needs to be there to also say, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I, I try to meditate every day, for example, but uh, it's really hard for me to do. So I need your help. Let's, let's, let's work on this together. Exactly. Wonderful. Awesome. And uh, I think this just connects so well into the employee experience. Um, like you mentioned, you kind of kicked off with your experience there. So is there anything else that you want to mention before we close about uh, wellness, well-being, and the importance of this uh this important element of culture but also just human-centric uh a human-centric focus for workplaces yeah i would say the i really believe that supporting the well-being of your employees is going to be your uh, differentiator in talent attraction and talent retention 
there's, you know, for, for a long time, it was job security and then it was compensations and you know, all those benefits. And then it was the employee experience as a whole, the culture itself. But truly, more and more, even data shows right now that people will stay with the companies that treated them well during COVID or they would tend to gravitate when they look for a new opportunity to the companies that actually, you know, um, supported the employees well during COVID. So well-being, uh, my personal belief is that it would be the main uh, differentiator when it comes to talent acquisition and talent retention in the next probably five years or so. Perfect. Well, it was a pleasure as always. I know we could talk forever about this topic. No, Stefan, thank you for joining and sharing your insights. Wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you, Angela, for having me. Thank you.